one of the most powerful transformations in the world of diets has occurred for the term vegan. In its early days in the 1980s, when I learned about it, vegan often meant overcooked carrots with a cold tofu salad. Today we know that a plant-based diet, which is exactly what a vegan diet comprises of, plants, is the healthiest way to eat. And today the meals some chefs are coming up with are simply out of this world and actually so easy to create even for us at home. And that's our topic. Colorful vegan kitchen. Plant-based recipes for everyone. Here today on An Organic Conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. Newest biome research, biome being the bacteria in our bodies and particularly in our gut, shows that a fiber-rich diet of fruits and vegetables, ideally organic, is the most important piece for optimal microbial health in our bodies and with it the foundation for our own health. And vegan suddenly means delicious, luscious, creative rich and amazing plant-based meals for breakfast, lunch and dinner and even desserts. To a large part, that is because fantastic chefs are tuning up the heat on the stove and showing us what is possible. One of those vegan leaders is our guest today. Colorful vegan kitchen, plant-based recipes for everyone. All that and more coming up in just a minute here today on An Organic Conversation. I'm your host, Helge Helberg. And this show is made possible by Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. And thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. We're talking about vegan cuisine today. Really plant-based recipes for everyone that are exceptionally healthy and delicious. In this hour of an organic conversation, colorful vegan kitchen. And with me now from Brooklyn, New York, is one of those amazing chefs, Eileen Godofsky-Moreno, with her amazing new book, The Colorful Kitchen. And that's thecolorfulkitchen.com. Eileen, do we have you on the line? 
Yes, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for making time. You know, at An Organic Conversation, we are getting dozens and dozens of books each month, many of them cookbooks. And what really grabbed our attention with your book, The Colorful Kitchen, is that amazing blend of beauty. The photography is fantastic uh, and, and ease and health. So you are a chef, but you're also really focused on, on nutrition and your um, a health coach. Before we even dive into the book uh, and your, your love for vegan, certainly, can you talk about how did this find you? Um, why are you following a plant-based diet and how, this, how did this all start for you? Absolutely. So as a kid, I, when I started to understand that the food on my plate had once been an animal, I decided I wanted to be a vegetarian, and I was nine years old the first time I said that, but my parents, this was, you know, in the early 90s, late 80s, my parents didn't know what to feed me. They're, the concept of vegetarian was not the beautiful, colorful idea we have today, so tons of plants and all of that. It was really sad veggie burgers that we would heat up in the microwave, and I was a really picky eater, so I ended up eating a lot of really plain foods, like a cheese sandwich or french fries and nothing like the type of food I eat today. But anyway, that wasn't quite sustainable and I just wasn't getting enough nutrients and I would kind of go back and forth and then eventually once I got to college and I had access to the cafeteria at school and I was in charge of my own food, the vegetarian thing really stuck for me. But I ate, like I said before, a very unhealthy vegetarian diet. It was french fries with cheese on them and dairy, everything, and tons of processed foods and snacks that come out of boxes and bags as opposed to food that actually grows in the ground. And that went on for a few years, and I became very passionate about not wanting to eat meat. But the concepts of dairy and eggs and all that being related to it, it hadn't really hit in for me. And of course, this was... Um, a, a different time. This is over 10 years yes. ago where there wasn't as much information on the internet that you could access as easily because it sounds silly now not to understand all of that, but the information just wasn't out there. I also, my entire life, had tons of health issues. So I had stomach problems and I had really severe allergies and I was on three different types of medications, but it never really made anything feel better. I only felt really tired from taking all my pills and I kind of just got tired one day of feeling sick and I did a little bit of research and I heard this urban legend about a family who had adopted a macrobiotic diet and all of their health ailments were cured. And I just went to the bookstore. I bought a macrobiotic cookbook and I thought maybe this will work for me. Like, who knows if maybe there's a connection between food and my health. And of course, it turns out that there was. And so I really dove into this book and I started making fresh food for the first time in my life. And it was really, really hard because I hadn't eaten quinoa before or kale and I hadn't cooked for myself with just vegetables and grains and all of that, but I followed the recipes and I started to feel incredible. And my allergies went away, my stomach problems went away, my skin cleared up. It's everything that could have gotten better seemed to get better with my health. And then, <laughs> this of course is a very long story, but over time I stopped relying on the cookbooks and I stopped following a, a super strict macrobiotic diet and I started experimenting with what foods made me feel really good and what foods weren't working for me. And of course, it took a few years for me really to figure out 
what was working. And I think for a lot of people, you know, that changes in our life. And, you know, it's been 10 years now, and the food I eat now is different than the food I ate five years ago. We just, our bodies have different needs at different points in our lives. But I basically landed in the space of a plant-based diet full of tons of colors. And so I was eating that way for a few years, and then I decided I wanted to become a health coach and help other people eat this way. But what really ended up being the way that I could connect best with people and help them change the way that they're eating is through recipes and sharing photos of recipes and with an emphasis on color and health coming together that way the cookbook was born and that's the story. <laughs> yes. And, and I mean, you're, you're raising a few really good points. I remember in the eighties in an um, airline that we won't need to mention, but I'm sure it was the same for every airline. If you picked the vegan meal, which I happened to do, I got into food um, in that time and just paid more attention. And uh, I, I picked in this case, a vegan meal. And it, I think it was like two overcooked daikon, Root, uh, something root vegetable and uh, a really not yummy tofu mush uh, salad, I remember. It was shocking. It was nothing. There was nothing on my plate. There was definitely not enough calories. Um, no idea, no flavor, no creativity. It is a time right now when we are waking up to biome, to gut health, to microbial life, to bringing in the healthiest foods. And I And of course, I'm in the field, but every single day, definitely every week, there's new research being done, new studies are being released, just how much our uh, our knowledge and our conviction that food is everything, really, it's the foundation for our health. And if you have a bad diet, you cannot heal, uh, is true. And, and that, that literally that gut feeling that what you eat is who you become is confirmed now in research ongoingly every week. In your approach, and so what you're saying is society has changed. Yes, our food habits have changed, but it is much easier now to, and farm to table happened in the 90s. And so our access to really plant yummy organic plants in the grocery store, Whole Foods, uh, you know, whatever your stores in your town, your local co-op, um, we have now access to it. Society has changed, not just on the coasts, but really throughout the country. You can find a small little health food stores pretty much everywhere, a little organic cafe. So you are placing this book within the context of a society that has changed, even in your time. Can you see that change? Is that really obvious and clear now that whether we call it vegan or plant-based, it's here and it's here to stay? Awareness has changed? Oh, absolutely. When I first started following a plant-based diet, like I said, uh, a little over 10 years ago, if I went to a restaurant and said, I'm vegan, what do you have for me? Most of the restaurants I would go to would have no idea what I was talking about. And if they did, they would bring me out something like what you described, a really bland piece of mushed up tofu. Now I, I can walk into any restaurant and there's most there's usually a vegan option on the menu already and if there isn't the, the waiters know what you're talking about and they can help you and of course I mean this isn't necessarily the case every single place but for the 99% of the time I can find something to eat at any restaurant even the type of restaurant you might not think of as the most plant-based friendly type of place <laughs> and also like you said about the grocery stores I designed this cookbook keeping in mind that where some people live in America, let's say they shop for groceries at Walmart, which is actually the largest supplier of organic produce in 
this country, which is kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. But anyways, you know, Walmart isn't necessarily known for the superfoods and all that that you might think you have to spend a ton of money to go to Whole Foods or whatnot for. But basically every single ingredient in the book you could find at Walmart or wherever else that you shop. And I think that is also a testament to what people are asking for and what they want in their stores. And that's really incredible to see that people want these healthier foods. Yes, and an organic diet, because your your plant plants that you eat should be organic whenever possible. It there was a smart strategy. Of course, it was um, appears, appearing more expensive uh, because we were so used to cheaper and cheaper and cheaper foods. But now, actually, prices have adjusted, and it's absolutely possible for the same budget that you would have on a non-organic diet if you if you're selective to eat organic the most expensive piece is meats and fish and on a plant-based diet if you eat within the season is it an overstatement to say that you can absolutely do this on a pretty tight budget if you pay attention to to what's coming in in abundance and go with that oh definitely i, I think that shopping at local farmers markets is always the least expensive way to shop so if you get all your produce, let's say, at your farmer's market, you can maybe get things for half the price that you would at a regular grocery store. And then you get the rest of your things like your greens and your nuts and whatnot from a bulk section, especially if you have a co-op near you. You can do it on a very tight budget and you can get everything that you would need to you know, have a diet that feels plentiful and doesn't feel like you're missing out on anything. Yeah. And as you said, as your health cleared up or, or came back, was allowed to come back, your inner balance, uh, you are actually saving money on uh, pretty quickly, not just down the road, but pretty quickly on supplements and on medications. And there's a certain cost to lifestyle that is exactly a reflection of our current lifestyle. If we become healthier in our choices, and first and foremost in our food choices, I find that much of those other related costs that people take for granted actually disappear. Have you found that too? How much did you spend on, on medication and things that you needed that you don't anymore? Oh, absolutely. Well, there's that saying, like, pay the farmer now or pay the doctor later, that, you know, if you invest in your health <laughs> now, you're going to be paying less money than, let's say, 20 years down the road when you potentially have health, all, like, health ailments and 20 years of putting things into your body that aren't doing it any favors and the medicines and all of that. And, like... I said before how I was taking three different prescription medicines. That was $100 up front every month that once I started eating a healthier diet, I was able to stop taking all of that. And so I do think if it does, if you do end up spending more money because you want to get organic or you want to get certain health foods, I think it's an investment in your health. And yes. I mean, how do you put a price on that? We're speaking with Eileen Godofsky-Moreno. She's the author of an amazing new book, The Colorful Kitchen. She's joining us today from Brooklyn, New York. In this hour of an organic conversation, colorful vegan kitchen, plant-based recipes for everyone. Let's dive in, shall we? Sounds great. So you are a health coach, a chef, and a photographer. And as I said in the beginning, there are many amazing books out there, but yours really brought it home. The beauty of your dishes, the color in your creations is exceptional. It's really exceptional. And you are emphasizing ease of the recipe and health with all that. So it's, in a way, for me, this was a complete book, and that's pretty rare. 
where I feel everything was met, even the appearance. Uh, it, it's, it looks delicious. I want to cook something out of that. I want to make those sandwiches or desserts. Um, and the health benefits are, are directly associated with it. There's no shortcut. How do you approach your recipes or how did you approach the book? What was, what's, your, what's your message with the book and how do you approach your work in general? Uh, well, first of all, thank you for those kind words. That's <laughs> great to hear. That's exactly what I wanted for the book. I wanted people to look at the photos and say, I want to make that. And it actually looks simple in the ingredients and I can make that. But the way that I approach all of my cooking is with my mantra, colorful, not complicated. And so my philosophy is that you want to add as many colors to your plate as possible because different colored fruits and vegetables contain different vitamins and nutrients. So if you're adding a ton of different colors, you're getting a ton of different nutrients. And it can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be about counting up how much vitamin A you get each day and all of that. If you're trying to be healthier, start by adding more colors. And when I go to create a recipe, I think about it in a visual sense in that I want it to be something where I'm eating with my eyes first. When you sit down and you have a meal and you have a dish in front of you and you say to the person you're eating with or yourself, you know, this, this looks great. I'm excited to eat. Already the meal is off to a great start. And then when it tastes really good on top of that, it's a much more satisfying experience than if, let's say, you're eating like a brown rice, lentil type of dish. Maybe it tastes delicious, but if it just is sort of this neutral brown, beigey color, you're not going to get that experience of thinking it looks great and feeling satisfied in that way also. It sounds wonderful, and it's still pretty hard to do, I would think. I mean, what comes to mind is you have this one sandwich where I think you have blue for, um, um, you know, purple cabbage with a yellow mustard sauce. And I mean, they do say in nutritional circles, eat the rainbow, which is exactly what you're just alluded to, you know, have as many colors in your diet as you can eat the rainbow so that you get the nutrients that those, um, you know, from beta carotenes to lycopene to everything that you see expressed in the produce. I still believe that's really hard to to add. Like, how do you actually approach a dish if you say, "Okay, I start with cabbage that's blue," and then which? How do you how do you add to that? Well, I guess I don't give us your I secrets. Guess I just yeah. a little bit and say <laughs> I don't necessarily get every single color into every single dish, no. but I think over the course of a day, you can reflect back on it and think if you did it. But I think for me, where it starts is usually with a craving of something and I say maybe I'm in, maybe I'm in the mood to make cabbage for instance and what am I going to make with this cabbage what would taste good with it what's in season and it's actually you know it it does sound hard but I think the process can be really intuitive once you get into the mode of creating recipes and going with what's in season and what your options are it's almost like a fun game if you go to the farmer's market and you get whatever's in season and then you find a way to put it all together and i think it becomes more of an intuitive process lovely um your entire family eats vegan now uh, you have a husband and you have a toddler and we want to learn uh, we want you to walk us through actually the Colorful Kitchen, your new book, and how do you adjust for each of them, or can they do eat all the same, basically, more or less, and then some of your absolute favorite recipes and what people will see in the book. Uh, we'll take a quick break, but you're listening to An Organic Conversation, and certainly it is today a very organic conversation. The Colorful Vegan Kitchen, Plant-Based Recipes for Everyone, an amazing new book 
by our guest today, the author Eileen Godofsky Moreno, who's joining us today from Brooklyn, New York. And meanwhile, while we are taking this break, check out thecolorfulkitchen.com, plant-based recipes for everyone, the new vegan star cookbook. Eileen, stay with us. We'll be right back with so much more. This show is brought to you by Equal Exchange a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. That's equalexchange.coop. And by Utterly offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Each garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. That's U-T-T-E-R-L-Y dot C-O. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Colorful vegan kitchen, indeed. Plant-based recipes for everyone. That's Eileen Godofsky Moreno's new book, the author from Brooklyn, New York, thecolorfulkitchen.com. Eileen, before the break, we talked about health, beauty, ease of the recipe. You have an entire family to feed. In, in addition to many friends and fans, I'm sure. But you have a husband and a toddler. How do you modify each person's diet, their nutritional needs? Or do you? Are you all eating the same, more or less? Or how do you how do you make adjustments? We pretty much eat the same. So my daughter is only 17 months. So there are certain foods that she can't quite chew yet, like you know, like things like raw kale or whatnot that, you know, she doesn't have to teach. She can't quite do that. So I don't make everything the same for her, but for the most part, she likes to eat what we like to eat, and she really likes to eat it if she sees us eating it. I think it tastes better for her if it comes off our plate. <laughs> but um, but I don't really do much modification. I will say my husband definitely has a bigger appetite than I do, so if I'm making something like a stir-fry, I'll make extra brown rice for him he does seem to need to have a little bit of a heavier carbohydrate component than I do most of the time but I mean that takes no extra work I really don't think that it has to be hard to feed everyone in the family like for instance one recipe that all three of us really love is the sweet potato mac and cheese and that's from my cookbook and the cheese sauce is made from roasted sweet potato and 
really creamy, cheesy sauce, has nutritional yeast, and it's actually really good for you. And that's a really fun recipe for kids, and especially toddlers, because pasta is a really good finger food. And it's just fun. I mean, what kid doesn't like pasta? <laughs> yeah, true. And uh, it just brought up when you were describing it as a m man myself, you could eat a vegan, quote-unquote, vegan diet, a heavy plant-based diet, and if you really were craving a piece of meat or a piece of fish once a week, absolutely, if this is the foundation of your daily eating, uh, it doesn't exclude any animal protein if you are not declared a vegan, um, but you would still get the health benefits from eating mostly plants, right? Oh, definitely, and my husband isn't strictly vegan. He... Um He's come a really long way in the way that he eats since we first met. But when we go, you know, at home he eats vegan, which is just because it's what I make. It's what we have in the house. And if when we go out to eat every once in a while, he'll order fish or something that, you know, isn't strictly vegan. But for the most part, 90% of his meals are plant-based. So I think that's, that's a really good start. And so I don't think people feel like they need to feel like they have to do it 100% of the time to get the benefit. Even right. if one meal makes a difference. Yeah, there's a there's a certain generational change where I think f food uh, or meat in this case stood for some some form of wealth and security, which I completely understand. Coming from a war history in that sense, at least in Germany, I can say that having a piece of meat on your plate was a sign of wealth and well-being that the German culture had to go through, and you would arrange, you know, a handful of vegetables around that meat. The meat was the main dish. It seems right. to be changing now that the the main meal could be absolutely a beautiful, you know, cauliflower, lasagna, whatever, plant-based, and then you add a little bit of protein intentionally to it. But it, it has kind of switched its priorities or its it, it main properties. Are you observing that too? Absolutely. Like you said before, There is the, the emotional component. Like my grandparents had red meat three times a week because they grew up in the Depression. They had nothing yes. where they ate potatoes every day that when they finally had enough money to buy meat, which was considered a luxury item, you know, they had yes. it three times a week. And of course, that's not the healthiest. But I think, you know, the emotional components aside, I think you can find ways to feel that sort of comfort and feel like you're having a hearty meal without necessarily the centerpiece being an animal product and uh, if you if you like the taste of all that stuff but you don't want to eat it there are so many faux meat type of things out there that can kind of hit the spot and we actually do a lot of that in my house just because my husband really likes to have like a faux beef crumble in his pasta sauce or we'll make tempeh in sort of a meaty way like a tempeh meatball and I think that's kind of hit the emotional component for him. Hmm, beautiful. So let's dive in, in the into the book itself, The Colorful Kitchen. What will readers find? How is it organized? And if somebody hears this and it's really intriguing to, to try this, what is the what's your best advice for somebody to get into a quote-unquote vegan, which often then sounds, well, there's, there are rules and regulations, and if you don't meet them, if you don't know them, you're not a vegan and you're out. What is the easiest way to transition into a much more plant-based diet that you could give people as advice? I would say just start with one meal. 
just make a smoothie, which is the easiest thing you can do because you just throw the ingredients in the blender. I have a recipe in the book. It's called a go-to green smoothie. And if you make that, you've already had your greens for the day and you've had one vegan meal under your belt. And I think that's the easiest way to start. And if your next meal isn't necessarily vegan, that's not the end of the world. If you want to make a change that's going to be long-lasting, I think you have to take smaller steps. And I think that's the way to make a sustainable change and not to become overwhelmed with it straight from the beginning. What is in that smoothie, for example? Can you walk us through? Sure. It's super easy. It's uh, peanut butter, bananas, non-dairy milk, greens of your choice, like spinach or kale or something like that, and flaxseed. And it's just a really delicious smoothie that everyone I've made Before it likes it, and you can't taste the greens, which I think is the reason it's a, it's a success. And it's so cool because peanut butter and kale, I mean, actually, I get that still, but then you add a banana, and somebody who has never tried any anything like this might say, wow, we're talking leafy green, kind of hardier winter, relatively bitter winter vegetables and uh, or greens, and... Uh, and peanut butter and bananas. This does not sound right. And yet I've had that smoothie and it's, you don't even, as you said, you don't taste really what it is and it's just delicious. And if you have that in the morning, you can go through, that's your breakfast. You can go three hours without any craving and feel completely satisfied and energized in a really long, long-term sustainable way. Beautiful to, to, uh, you know, add things that you would normally never find individually on your plate. Definitely. I mean, you would never chop those things up in a salad together. <laughs> but when they come together in a smoothie, you pretty much only taste the fruit. And, you know, it tastes good and it's cold and it's easy. So for vegetables on your plate, what is a, a really easy recipe to start if somebody says, okay, I'm going to try this plant-based thing now. I know it's winter, January, February, March, what's coming in. What would be a good seasonal, really simple and very, very delicious still dish for you, that you would recommend right now for our listeners? Well, this time of the year, we're eating a lot of soups in my house just because it's so cold. And, you know, the winter is not the most exciting time for produce, but there are a lot of root vegetables out there. And so there is a recipe in the book. It's a, it's called Creamy, Chunky, Cheesy Broccoli Soup. And the base of it um, are white beans and potato. And then there's broccoli and it's blended together. So it's sort of reminiscent of like a broccoli and cheese cream soup. But of course, it doesn't have all of those ingredients. And it's just really hearty and warming. And I would start there. Or I also have a sweet potato soup that's so simple to make. You basically just boil it up and then put it in the blender and you have this really creamy kind of sweet soup. And I think soups are, are less intimidating sometimes than other, other types of recipes where you really see all the different ingredients. It's just a blended up soup. It looks like anything you might normally be used to eating. Nice. And for this chunky broccoli soup, we don't want to, the measurements uh, on the air, that's too difficult to follow. But can you just walk us through what the three, four steps are? Because it's so simple and so quick, actually. And broccoli cooks fairly quickly. And um, it's it's delicious. Yeah, absolutely. So you basically just get a big pot. You saute onion and garlic. Then you add some vegetable broth and bring it to a boil and you throw in the broccoli and the potatoes and the white beans. You boil it all up. Then you transfer that to the blender and it's basically ready to serve. Yeah. And there you and you, add, you stir in some spices and whatnot. There's a little bit more to it, but it takes about 15, 20 minutes to make. 
Nice. And of course, with soups, uh, as with any dish, really, but soups even more so, you can make a little bit more and have, you know, have the same dish the next day or even the day after. If you want. Oh, to yeah, just I, have I, I do that fridge. all the time. <laughs> Beautiful. You also cover desserts, which I've found interesting. Um, several cookbooks do that, but you have an, an amazing take on healthy desserts. What's your favorite, one of the, your favorite desserts? Oh, my favorite. That's a hard one. I think that changes all the time, but they're classic chocolate chip cookies. And that recipe I designed to sort of to make it taste like the type of cookies I had as a child, which were the cookie dough that came out of a tube and you would cut them up into pieces and bake it, you know, and it was the least healthy thing you could possibly have. But my version made yeah. of salt flour, <laughs> which is a higher protein flour and coconut sugar. So it's not, I wouldn't call it a health food, but it's maybe, it's a lot, it's a lot less unhealthy than a regular cookie, but it tastes exactly the same. And that's why I love it. And then there are also more health-minded desserts. Like I have these no-bake strawberry macaroons that are all raw ingredients. And that's basically, it could, you could eat it for breakfast. There's really no sugar in it except for the strawberries and a little maple syrup. Amazing. Walk us through the book itself. What will readers find when they when they buy it? Uh, so it's very straightforward. The beginning starts with my story, and it's a longer version of the story I told you a little bit earlier about how I came to eat the way that I did and sort of the ups and downs and trying to find food that I like. And then it's you know smoothies, breakfast, soup, salads, entrees, desserts. It's super, it couldn't be more straightforward, and that's the way I wanted it to be. And every recipe has a photograph, so you can just sort of flip through it and see what catches your eye. And then most of the recipes aren't that time-consuming, and my hope is that you will already know what all the ingredients are. There are no funky, crazy ingredients. And if there is something that you're not sure of, there's an index explaining why I choose certain ingredients, like I mentioned, the coconut sugar and salt flour, those are things that people might not know why I would choose that, you know, over something else. So there's the index that explains all that. Amazing. And that is The Colorful Kitchen. And the author is Aline Godofsky Moreno, who's joining us from Brooklyn, New York today here on An Organic Conversation. Colorful vegan kitchen, plant-based recipes for everyone. I'm Helga Hilberg. I mean, we're almost out of time, but I do want to dive into you as a health coach. What's your message now and where are you taking your work? Like what's the most important piece for society to pay attention to and, and what are your plans? Well, I, I think the, the most important message is that one meal, even, well, even one meal makes a difference. And if you make one healthy plant-based meal in a day, you've accomplished something really great and you're taking steps towards improving your own house and your family's health. And I think what's, you know, next is working with my daughter and working with kids and teaching the next generation where our food comes from. And that's something I didn't understand as a child. And I think giving our children the tools to live a healthier lifestyle is so important. Yeah, we just had a show a couple of weeks back, What's Making Our Children Sick, with a new book, two authors, um, children's doctors, who have looked at the impact of genetic engineering, um, BT products and, and Roundup Ready uh, products in our diets and, and the rapid growth of you know children's diseases, mental diseases, Asperger's all relatable to the food we take, to, or to at least to a, a large, large degree. 
um, on the spectrum of autism, she was saying that one out of 10,000 children had a condition on the spectrum of autism just 20 years ago. Now it's one out of 43. It's an epidemic. We have an epidemic of, of autism. And your work and plant-based diets and eating organic and close to the ground, unprocessed, seems to be coming back into the forefront of our health discussion as it has been really in waves throughout the last 20 years, but with so much research backing it up that it really seems like food is everything. Food is the way we deal with global warming and carbon sequestration and our own health and our children's health and our future as a planet and as a future as a species. Would you share that? Oh, absolutely. I think what you said is spot on. And that's why I think it feels so good to pick up a plant-based cookbook and make a meal from it, especially if you usually use animal products or you usually don't buy organic. Just one meal can make a really big difference in the amount of water that's saved and the nutrients that you're giving your family and all the things that you're not ingesting by choosing these types of ingredients. And so I think, you know, it's really what, you know, the facts are, are frightening, but I think we have so many tools. And like you said, we have so much research and knowledge that we're able to make the types of informed decisions that we weren't able to make 15 or 20 years ago. And I think that that can be really empowering that we can really make a difference with the food, the way that we shop and the foods that we bring into our homes. Yeah, we never knew more of how important it is, and we never had more access to it, as you said in the beginning. It's everywhere now in every health food store, even at non-health food stores at Safeway or Walmart, um, Trader Joe's. You can you can find organic options in every produce aisle, really in grocers, pretty much throughout the country, and even ab abroad. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for your work. Thank you for this incredible book. It's really incredible. It's my absolute favorite right now, The Colorful Vegan Kitchen, Plant-Based Recipes for Everyone. That was our topic here on An Organic Conversation today. And our guest, Eileen Godofsky-Moreno, one of the leaders of that movement to bring us a more definitely way healthier, more plant-based diet into our homes, easy and deliciously and so, so colorfully. Thank you for your work um, and good luck with your work. We'll have you back soon. Great. Thank you so much for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Again, her website is thecolorfulkitchen.com, thecolorfulkitchen.com. And she was joining us today from Brooklyn, New York. We're staying with the topic of plants, plant-based diets, of course. Uh, if you know the show, you know what's coming. Here's the consumer segment, the update from the produce dock to know what's in season, how to buy it, how to shop for it, how to store it. And now we also know what to do with it through the cookbook, The Colorful Vegan Kitchen. Here is Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce with What's in Season. This week, I don't think I have Earl on the show, but rather Rodrigo, Rodrigo Velasquez, one of his key expert buyers who has been part of this show many, many times with his amazing and knowledgeable voice. Uh, Rodrigo, do we have you? Hi, Helga. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> uh, how's, how's life for you? How's it been going? It's great. And today is like, um, you know, a uh, very interesting day. We, we started with a very strong <laughs> rain. And I can see from my window that the sun is shining. 
which is typical of this, uh, you know, this uh, uh, citrus season here. Yeah, and I've been thinking about citrus and eating citrus, and I was a little disappointed that the Satsuma season was seemed to be shorter than than last year's or than normal. But please, by all means, give us the update of citrus. Where are we? What's to expect? What should we watch out for? There is rain, which I know some citrus gets damaged by that, and you don't want to lose a pretty dollar. What's happening? Absolutely. So, you know, we, um, we expect rain and rain and cold is uh, something that we expect during the months of winter and uh, the main effect we see in rain is the delay on the harvest um, and when i wanted to mention uh, you know to, to our listeners is that the reason why you think that this uh, citrus season is not as good is uh, because of the very very warm autumn that mm. we have so if you remember a few weeks uh, ago, a couple of maybe months ago, uh, during autumn, it was very, very warm. Yes. We have a very warm summer and a, a, a much warmer than usual autumn. And that is the reason uh, why uh, we're seeing uh, the effects now. And uh, they manifest uh, by being late. So we, we're seeing about two weeks behind schedule in many varieties of mandarins in particular. Mandarins have been the more effective. So and, let uh, me let me understand that. I remember, uh, like in November, we still had you know mid high seventies sometimes days, e even in the Bay Area in San Francisco, which is very unusual. Uh, we always have this kind of coasty, foggy uh, climate, and it can cool down quite a bit. But wow, yeah, we had very warm days still in even in December. Would that not speed up the growth of of citrus? Why would why are we two weeks behind because of that? It, it will not. I mean, it will cause a distress, and the plant will be under stress. At a time when they're not expecting ah. that amount of heat, the plant will be stressed. And, uh, you know, like uh, just like uh, like people, you know, <laughs> we, sure. we, uh, there's a level of stress that is, is, is not healthy, and uh, it affects uh, many things. Among those is the fruit. So, yeah, you think like warm and uh, will accelerate the, the, the process because usually temperature yes. accelerates uh, chemical processes. But the, uh, Not with citrus. happening is that the fruit had to encounter the trees, encounter uh -huh. a, a, a much stressful environment. And that is uh, the reason why they delay the production. Uh, likely, uh, you know, we have had um, a few days of rain and temperatures are in what we consider normal. But... Uh, but we're two weeks behind. Now, yes. uh, good news is um, we are going to have some really good varieties. And in particular, in particular mandarins, um, we're seeing an improvement in an increased acreage uh, because farmers uh, in California, uh, they know that what people want is uh, a sweet, seedless, and easy peel uh, mandarin. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been, you know, reacting uh, the, the last few years to fulfill that demand. Okay. And how's the quality, though? Because you have always said on the show, yes, stress, the, the tree, you know, kind of pulls its resources together and, and it might affect growth and all that. But stress is, in a way, also good because it makes for a better piece of produce. Is that mm -hmm. true for citrus or, in this case, for mandarins particularly? What's the, what, what's it, the quality you're seeing throughout? Yeah, it, it is true. But uh, you want that stress to, the stress to happen later on the season. Ah. So when the mm -hmm. stress happens too early, you're just stressing the tree 
and, uh, and, and not seeing the benefits of that stress. Gotcha. But one of the things to keep in mind, uh, you mentioned uh, satsumas, and one of the things I always uh, try to pay attention to uh, is the fact that we uh, it's a journey during the season. We travel from one variety <laughs> to the next, and yes. what we are looking for, what we, what we follow is the flavor. And yes, at the beginning of the flavor, uh, at the beginning of the season, the flavor is in the satsuma. But, you know, the satsuma is going to pass the baton to, you know, the next variety and the next variety and the next variety. Mm -hmm. So let's follow the flavor. And, you know, sometimes we stay in the satsuma for more than we should. You know, I say that not only as a buyer, but also as a consumer, because I have those wonderful memories of this fantastic, easy-to-peel, very sweet variety. Yes. But maybe after a few weeks, it's time to look at the next It has next peaked. One. Yes, absolutely. It has peaked. And uh, uh, so I would suggest everybody follow the flavor. Don't get stuck in a single variety. And uh, if, if you don't mind, I can name a few varieties that are, are, are Please, coming. Please, yes. So we're in mid-February now. Um, what, mm-hmm. what can people, what's the best for you right now? What's peaking really? And where are we headed? Okay, so there's like the 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 volume right now is uh, the W Mercut, uh, <laughs> which is an excellent variety. It has a very good flavor, um, very complex, high acidity, and very very high sugar. Um, along with those are the Tango Mandarins, which is uh, uh, a seedless Mercut. So the Tango is the same as the Mercut. Only thing is uh, doesn't have any seeds. <laughs> Um, recently, in the last few years, we have seen an increase in volume and in, increase in the flavor, too, of the uh, gold nugget. The yes. gold nugget maybe is not as beautiful on the outside. I love trust them. Trust me, the, the, yeah. the, the treasure is, is inside. The, yes. the, the wonderful, it's a wonderful variety. Um, it only has, a, you know, a few seeds. You may encounter many many pieces with no seeds at all, so it's a, just an occasional seed, mm-hmm. um, a great, great complex flavor. Early on the season, we have some page, but I think, you know, we'll have to wait now until next year to see them again. And um, later on, uh, you know, towards uh, as March. We, uh, we're March, we're going to see the newest uh, varieties that have been developed, m- mostly by the um, UC Riverside, the University of California, which are the, the TVE, TVE varieties. Now, TVE stands because it's a hybrid between a Temple Tangor Mandarin, a Dancing, Dancy, and an Angkor Mandarin. So, you know, Temple, Dancy, Angkor, mm-hmm. that's the TVE that comes from, and oh. it has some very, very California names. There, uh, we have the main varieties of the TVE class are the Tahoe Gold, the Shasta Gold, and there's another one that I can't remember the name, but it's a very similar name. And, and, and when you when you say that they're new varieties, these were these are hybrid varieties. They are crossbred, but of course not genetically engineered because that's not allowed in organic. So they're using natural methods to to create new flavor profiles. Or how does that work exactly? Exactly, yeah? it's absolutely natural. Mm-hmm. Um, when I say recently developed, you know. At the beginning of the 2000s, so maybe gotcha. 2000 okay. to 2002, yes. um, natural breeding programs. Uh, this all, uh, you know, there's no GM, GMO. There's no genetically modified. Absolutely right. nothing of that. It's all um, a natural program that University of California in Riverside 
has, and and the results are fantastic. So they have so, they developed a new tree, and now now they they love this, and it's stable, and now they have so many trees that it's now commercially suddenly available more and more. Exactly. Cool. They have been releasing them uh, for commercial production, and growers, since it's a new variety, sure. uh, the growers have been you know also learning how to grow them. Yeah. It's, it's it's new. You know they need to understand uh, how much water, you know, how much uh, compost and, uh, you know, when to prune them. Sure. And uh, we will see. These varieties are, are really, really good. They uh, have exactly what, you know, uh, the customers uh, and the market demands, which is a very sweet, seedless, and easy-to-peel mandarin. Oh, nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so exciting. And you have them already, obviously. You had them we, last year? We're going to see them in March. We're going to wait until March for these. Right, uh, but you had uh, them last year, right? You you know what oh, you're... Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we... It, it, it has been a little bit hit and miss, and you can, you can tell that growers are learning uh, so they can only improve. We have some fantastic ones. There were some fantastic fruits, mm -hmm. absolutely outstanding. And we also had some where, you know, the good thing about uh, being in constant... Uh, contact with growers of is course. that we provided the feedback and we told yeah. them, okay, maybe you need to work in this area. And it's a constant, wow. you know, it's a constant journey. We're always looking for, um, you know, satisfy and delight mm -hmm. people uh, with produce. Sure. We're almost out of time, but quick tip on how to pick all this. Um, I know you told me once water damage, um, you can tell when the skin of a citrus has can, can kind of be pushed in with your thumb, right? It gets really soft. Is that still the best, like it should be firm throughout? And what's your best tip to pick perfect citrus? That is correct. Pick, uh, you know, the, the skin is to be firm. Don't be discouraged for any green skin that you see, some varieties are naturally like that. That doesn't mean that the fruit is not ripe. Hmm. Um, and uh, finally, you know, look for fruit that is heavy for, for its volume. You know, look, if you have two or three, always pick the ones that are the heaviest. Remember, the sugars are heavier than water. Amazing. I want to have you on the show for a week. Can we do that one day? <laughs> 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 Nonstop. Thank you so much. Uh, that is Rodrigo Velasquez, one of the experts at Earl's Organic Produce. Rodrigo, um, wonderful work. Thank you for, for keeping us yummy, and we'll have you back very soon. Thank you so much. Great to talk Bye. to you. Talk soon. Bye-bye. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thank you so much for listening. A big thank you also to our associate producer, Kristen Ponger. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas, and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at equalexchange.coop. And Utterly, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Every garment reduces our eco-footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Utterly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, utterly.co. 
Also, Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family-owned and operated since 1980, Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. Lastly, thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at An Organic Conversation and on Twitter at Talk Organic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then.